0: and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: This Torah portion, if you had a chance to read it uh, from the book of Numbers, uh, basically chapters 13 through 15, covered or gave us the information about one of the most important um, events. Let me use that term. Incident would also be a good term. One of the most important events that happened during Israel's wandering in the wilderness. Rabbinically, there are two events that just stand out from the rest as far as the negative impact of them. The first one was the Egel HaZahav, the golden calf incident. How many of you remember that reading in the Bible? You almost can't miss that especially with the movie that's out there, The Ten Commandments. But this one, the, uh, in Shalach Lechar, Shalach, this week's parasha, this week's portion, it it speaks about something Christopher mentioned as he was uh, conducting the worship, directing the worship this morning. It speaks about the Meraglim, the 12 spies. Most of us are familiar with that story. We're going to cover a little bit of that These two incidents, the Golden Calf and the 12 Spies incident, really shaped the future for many people at that time. There were some, as we'll see as we go a little further in my remarks today, and some of you have already read the portions and you know know what it says or you're familiar with the narrative, but the impact upon Israel of the 12 Spies incident uh, can't be downplayed, it was extremely significant. And if you read the portion or if you're familiar with what it says in the book of Numbers, you realize that God was not particularly happy about this incident. How do I say that nicely? God was not that happy about this incident. And it's one of the couple of incidents in the wilderness wandering where the Lord says, I want to just get rid of all these people. And there we can be so thankful that Moshe or Moses was a true intercessor. And let me ask you this as an aside here this morning, but an important aside. Are you praying for your family members? Are you praying for your neighbors? Uh, When you come into services, are you praying for the service? I think it's really important to do that. And we see a tremendous example of intercessory prayer and pleadings before the Lord in Moshe and Moses and also in Aharon and Aaron. So this week's portion... Shalach lechaz it's called, or Shalach. It does describe this whole incident of the 12 spies. One of the Hebrew words for spies is Meraglim. It comes from the word for legs. Raglaim or regel. And the 12 spies were commissioned or sent out to literally to spy out, to reconnoiter the land that lied ahead of the children of Israel, the so-called promised land. And they were sent out to reconnoiter that, that land and also to bring back a report. And it's in the report that you see some variances. There were 12 individuals and 10 bring one kind of report and the other two bring another kind of a report. Now, let me start with Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, which describes the praiseworthy actions of Caleb, Caleb. Think of Caleb and Joshua, these two almost spiritual bosom buddies here. And Caleb offers uh, a good report. They come back from the land they were sent out to spy out, to reconnoitre, to look at, to, to uh, see what's happened in that land. Caleb comes back, and in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, it says this, then Caleb quieted the people. Now, how many know that can be a task right there? <laughs> With all the people quieting them. Some of us in our families, we know at times it's hard to quiet folks down when you want to have a discussion. But he quieted the people, and some would say that was a a, a Neskodol, a great miracle right there. He was able to get them to quiet down. But he quieted the people before Moses and said, this was his report. After spying out the land, he says, let us go up, and notice this, let us go up at once. I don't think Caleb had the spirit of procrastination, do you? Let us go up at once. Let us go up at once and take possession. And then he says this, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, if there was an amen corner back then, Caleb had his little amen corner going on back there, and his name was Yahushua or Joshua. Joshua was amen to all you say, Caleb. I don't know how you would say that back in ancient Hebrew, but uh, actually the word amen is a Hebrew word. But that was, Joshua was Caleb's amen corner back then. And thus of the 12 spies, there are only two, Yahushua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb, that offered a positive assessment of the land of its fruitfulness, its goodness, its productivity. And then the third point, which is extremely important, it was these two, Joshua and Caleb, that brought the good report. who also recognized that God could grant them or would grant them success if they went up. And hence, we have Caleb saying, let's go up immediately. And that this land, as it was known, was the land that had been long promised to Abraham and his descendants. We know today as Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So, But after Caleb spoke, he brings a positive report. And I'm, I'm going through parts of this, and I hope you have a chance to read this extremely significant segment of the book of Numbers. So after Caleb speaks... Then the other spies speak. Caleb speaks in Numbers 13, 30, says he quieted the people, and he said, let's go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. And then in the very next verse, Numbers chapter 13, verse 31, let's pick up the narrative there, and this is what it says. But the men who had gone up with Caleb said, we are not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. So there's a difference between we are able, and even though it's a three letter word, N O T, the other 10 say, the other 10 meraglim, the other 10 spies say, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And in verse 32 of Numbers chapter 13, it continues And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Did you notice the extreme statements here? It's a land which devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, I don't know if you, as you read that, if you see some problems with that testimony, with that report, but there certainly are. We would use the term exaggeration there to describe some of what they said. And then how did they know this information? It says, and we were like grasshoppers in our own site. Okay, they could probably figure that out, but what about the next thing? And so we were in their site. How did they know what these, they were spying out the land. How did they know what the other people were thinking? The chances are slim that they didn't because if they would have been found out to be spying out the land, what would the people have done? Captured them taken them. So, in short, if we're going to look at this, the the spies brought conflicting reports. Joshua and Caleb advised, immediately go up, take this land, let's trust God, God's going to give us victory. And the other ten spies, as famously we are probably all aware, they knew that the land was a good land, they do say that. But they doubted that ultimately there would be victory in trying to obtain that land which was to just a little asterisk here this was the land that God had promised to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob their ancestors so to the 10 spies there were literally as they use the term anak. there were giants in the land and these giants were to their thinking too great to overcome so they counseled they advised and they reported don't do this We're not going to succeed. So if you're doing the numerics or the numbers, it was 10 against (laughs) 2. 10 spies saying, no, we can't do it. We won't be successful. Two saying, yes, we can. And not only can we do it, but we need to do it immediately. How many of you know that in the Lord, it's very important. Timing. Timing in the Lord is very important. We could say that in, in, in life it's important to seize the day, to seize the time, to make sure that you're in time, and in, in step would be another way to say it, with the Spirit of God as He works in your life. Now, this phrase that has seeped into the English language, this phrase of giants in the land, how many you have heard that phrase before? Giants, and let's use metaphorically there, giants in land, to, to basically describe obstacles that may come or that may exist, that may come into our life. These are giants in the land, things that would seem difficult to overcome they seem greater than us hence the word giants rather than well i mean we're not too scared when someone says there's midgets in the land i mean we're not too scared about that but when they talk about giants in the land we get concerned our ears perk up to that one not the same way as midgets in the land (laughs) for sure so this term or this idea that seeped into the English language, it's, it can be applied to reality, things that are real, but it can also be applied to things that we think, our mental state. Have you ever had something really strong grab hold of your thinking? Perhaps let me use uh, some, some ideas here or present some ideas to you. Have you ever been like grasped by fear? Just grabbed hold of you? In your thinking and your thought process you became fearful and there can be other things like that that become giants or uh, uh, strongholds as it's called in second Corinthians strongholds that developed within our own thinking so sometimes the giants in the land although they can be reality some big things that we have to deal with if you're building a road and there's a mountain in front of you a physical mountain well you have to deal with that physical mountain But if that mountain's something you're thinking of and that mountain's in your mind and your thinking has grabbed hold of you and has pretty much taken control of your thinking, that's a major giant in the land up here in our thinking. And many of us soon realize, I know that I did, and perhaps I'm speaking for others here, I soon realized after I came to know Yeshua, or I should say he apprehended me, I soon realized that I needed a change in my thought life. Can anybody relate to that? Did you realize that you needed to change your way of thinking to quote the old Bob Dylan song, going to change my way of thinking? But I realized that that my thought process was askew. It was askance. It wasn't really uh, positive for me. I was thinking in the wrong terms. Our thought process can be very worldly, To use another term, can be very carnal, can be misdirected. And I realize, as many of you have, you realize that when you came to know the Lord, when you got serious about your relationship with the Lord, and I hope today that every person hearing these words is serious about your relationship with the Lord, you realize that something had to change. You needed what the scripture calls a renewing of the mind, a renewal of your thought process. And that that had to take place. It was important. If it doesn't take place, you just keep thinking and doing and saying the same things. You keep in that rut, that rut that led nowhere. It was a, the to be carnal minded is death, as it says in the writings of Rapture Paul. But how do we accomplish a renewal of our thought process, of our thought life, as it's often called? Let's call our thought life because it seems to have its own wings sometimes. You can be driving down the road, and you're thinking about something else besides the highway in front of you or the cars, and we've all been there and done that. So how do we get this renewal? I suggest to you that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, but we need something else connected to that. That's the the, the baseline, the fulcrum of it all is the power of the Spirit. But we also have to be, and hear me out on this, We have to be willing to change our way of thinking. Change. Are you open to spirit-empowered change in your life and in your way of thinking? I hope so, because that renewal process is significant for us. We sang a song there, I believe it was the last song today, that talks about how the Lord is going to complete that work that he's begun in us. And a good part of that completion will involve a transformation within ourselves. It's important that we are growing in the spirit, that we're growing in the Lord, that we're not in the same ruts that we were, that we are being progressive spiritually, we're growing in the Lord, we're absorbing his word more and more, that our, our thought life is aligning more and more with the word of God. And if you have ever attempted to walk that direction, you know it is a battlefield it's a battlefield and we do need the power of the Holy Spirit but we are commanded and the word commanded is the correct word I believe in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 a verse that many of us here could probably quote but in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 it commands us it says this do not be conformed to this world how many believe that's a commandment it is Do not be conformed to this world and then attach to that commandment. And some would say even a secondary commandment, connected at the hip with that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So friends here today, take that seriously the renewing of the mind, because Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, it's an off-quoted verse, at least the one part of it, part I'm going to uh, express now. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, <laughs> guess what? So is he. So is he. Friends here today, don't buy into some of the thought process that's being legislated upon you. Buy into Buy into, grasp, take hold of, aspire towards the thought process that the Word of God advocates. What does God's Word say about you? What does God's Word project for your life? Buy into that, grab hold of that. Because that, you know, when all, all the counsel that we get in this world disappears, it'll be the Lord's counsel that will remain forever and ever. His Word will not change. We need to make sure that the way we think and the way we act, the way we speak, so to say, we need to realize that it's very important that we proclaim Yeshua and we allow him to be Lord over that whole process in our life. Now, there is a lesson, there are many lessons to learn from the incident of the spies, but here's one that i think is very obvious we're going to talk more about this in conclusion in a few few moments but we should be careful so lesson to learn i believe we should be careful how and what we communicate to other people we should be careful and i'd suggest to you a third component is the timing <laughs> the timing there's a proverb that says that when you, if you speak with a loud voice in the morning to someone, they're not going to necessarily say, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Even if it's a blessing and you shout it out to them, they're not going to say, oh, thank you. They're going to say, oh, man, I just got up. So be careful how and what you communicate with others. It's very important, but make sure the timing is also correct. And as followers of Yeshua, our communication, if I could just say several several, uh, details about our communication as followers of Yeshua, our communication should be positive, honest, and constructive. Those are the things we want. There are other things there. And by the way, we should refrain from exaggerating. And I know most of us have had issues with that. I put my hand up for that sometimes. Anyone else who put your hand up at times if you exaggerate things? Well, in other words, we should refrain from exaggerating. In other words, if the fish that got away was only five inches long... Let's not make that fish into that fingerling that's five inches long. Let's not make him into Moby Dick or Leviathan. If the fish was five inches long, the fish is five inches long. And I know when I was young, a few Moby Dicks got away from me when I was trout fishing. (laughs) Anyone else ever lose Moby Dick when you were fishing? But let's let's not exactly let's be truthful. Let's make sure that we speak the truth in love. Let's be courteous. Let's let's exemplify Yeshua and His love and care for people. And also, since we're talking a little bit about communication, I encourage you tomorrow, you men, be sure you connect with Carl's teaching tomorrow because it is on communication. Uh, The Zoom teaching it's in your communicate. Be sure you connect. And that's been very good. What we've been learning, but. Also, if a person, if you say something and you have someone that disagrees with you about what you're saying, (laughs) let's not make them into a sworn enemy because they disagree with us or start portraying their character because they don't see things like we do as if they're Jezebel or Judas or Cain. The truth is, they disagree. <laughs> That's the truth. I mean, and that for those that have a right heart about it, you can actually talk in that level. I and mean, why do you disagree? What is it? And maybe you try to convince them it's called apologetics. You give them the uh, use apologetics to explain to them why you believe in Yeshua. Apologetics doesn't mean making an apology every time. It means giving a case, a stating your case, giving evidence as to why you believe what you do. So if someone disagrees with you, don't immediately write them off as a sworn enemy. Even husbands and wives who've been married for many years, they don't agree on everything. Is that true? Some of you have been married many years? It's true. It's <laughs> true. Now, don't make him an enemy, all right? He's okay. <laughs> we love him. But wise yet truthful communication, wise yet truthful communication is important. It should be timely. should be spoken in the right way. And it is extremely important in our generation that we live, and some of you see what's happening. It's extremely important that in our generation that our communication with those around us reflects something very important to them. We should be reflecting our faith in Yeshua the Messiah and what we say and how we communicate. You know, we shouldn't be ashamed of him. We should be thankful for him. We shouldn't be ashamed of what he said. We should rejoice for his words because they are like a light to our path, a light for our faith. There's a powerful statement Yeshua made. It's in Matthew 10. It's one of uh, hundreds, literally, of statements Yeshua made. But in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, he said this. Not a lot of gray area here, you might notice. Therefore, whoever confesses me, where? Before men, before mankind. Whoever confesses me before men, before mankind, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Now, notice please that the verse, the statement, the expression of Yeshua doesn't stop with just verse 32. It goes to verse 33. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And friends, I know which side of this coin I want to be on. How about you? We want to express with truth, with honesty, with love. We want to express that we have a personal relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you're here today and you don't have that, you need to have that because someday you're going to stand before him. We all are. He's the great judge. Now, I've noticed, and perhaps you have too, I've noticed, particularly lately, I've seen it really strongly. That as, and I'm going to use a term here I don't use very often, but I don't know how else to, to express this, but as the, the nominal Christian community has become, how do I say this nice? Has become more tolerating of the world and its ways. I don't know how else to say that. That as the nominal Christian community has become more tolerant of the world and its ways, the things that are being foisted into our culture, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me that the world has not reciprocated and become more tolerant of Christianity and of believers and what we view and our worldview. So, on one hand, the the nominal Christian communities become more tolerant and accepting of all this stuff that's being foisted upon them. And on the other hand, there's not a reciprocity of the world saying, okay, yeah, we tolerate you too. In fact, if you want to really get on the wrong side of someone in certain areas of this country and in this world, you just have to stand up for Yeshua, and let them know you're a believer. Let them know that you believe the word of God. Let, you know that let them know there's no other way. Because they're very busy finding all these other ways that they think is going to lead to Yeshua, to salvation. And I'm so thankful for our worship team. Again, with Carl here today and each individual we get up here, we clearly state Yeshua's statement in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way. Who's the way, by the way? Yeshua. I am the truth. Where's truth found? Yeshua. I'm the life. Where's true life found? In Yeshua. And then there's that next statement. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we can express that to those around us. They may not like it. They're increasingly intolerant of that. Say, well, you're a bigot. Yeah, you're all these things. They have all these terms that they put out there. But In the sight of God, I have a suggestion or at least the idea that that's probably precious to the Lord, that we don't deny him before this world around us. In fact, people who adhere to a worldly view of life and often tend to find a committed believer in Yeshua, an uncompromising believer in Yeshua, they tend to find that type of person very difficult to deal with. Very difficult to accept fully, very difficult even to be around. Granted, let's be honest about this, we've all met, how do I say this nicely, we've all met people who are difficult to us. Have you, by the way, let me take a poll here. How many of you have met people that have been difficult for you? How come two hands are going up on so many hands here? I think you'd agree that people who drag others down with their words and people who are quick to point out others' faults and people who stand ready and itching for a fight and ready to argue and people who forcefully promote their own opinions as gospel truth and people who only see the negative aspects of others, whether it's personal or theologically, that's all they seem to see, or people who have very little good to say about others, when you interact with that kind of a personality, it can be a challenge, because everything's wrong. Now, I, I, it, personally, and I'm gonna confess something to you, that over the years, now decades, I've had an inner term that I, I've had for these people, I tried to find a soft term to describe people that drag others down and point out faults and are ready and itching, ready and itching to argue and, and think their opinions are the gospel truth and, and all that type of stuff. I, I came up with this thought that I keep to myself, but I'm going to reveal it here today. I put a little descriptive on those people, and to myself, I call them bad news bears. <laughs> Bad news bears. (laughs) So, if I'm interacting with you and I use the term and I'm looking at you and say, bad news bear, (laughs) now you know what I'm thinking. (laughs) But that wouldn't happen here. But regardless of such challenges that we face in life and we do, whether it's from people or, you know, just being in the world that we live in, it's difficult. Some of the stuff that's being foisted on us as believers is very difficult. Coming from governmental circles trickling down to us, very difficult. Just being in the world, but as Scripture says, we're not of the world, but we're in this world. So let's redeem this time and do all that we can to point people to Yeshua, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way. Let's point them. But Scripture exhorts us to act and speak wisely as we interact with other people. You know, it was King David who prayed in Psalm 141, verse 3. I love this prayer. This is a good prayer. (laughs) Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. How many of you like that prayer? (laughs) Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. (laughs) But then he continues in verses 4 and 5, and he says, Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. To practice wicked works with men who work iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies, the New King James says. What a prayer. What a statement to direct towards God. Like, Lord, it's like a cry for help. Don't let anything come out of my mouth that's displeasing to you. Lord, put a guard over it, a shomer, a guard over it. And even the door of my lips, Lord, Help me with that. And in Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-nine, we're told to let no corrupt word. How many corrupt words are allowed to pass through our mouth? None. No. No. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification so when you're speaking you're thinking of how do i help this person with me how do i strengthen them how do i encourage them how do i edify them but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart what to the hearers grace are you an imparter of grace to those around you or are you one of the, can I use my term? Are you a bad news bear sometimes? <laughs> Proverbs 15 verse 4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. And et haim. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Have you ever had somebody just tear you down? Lash you with their tongue, with their speech, with their words? Many of us have experienced that. People that just seem to rejoice to tear you down and say things about you. And Proverbs 21 verse 23 says, Whoever guards his mouth and tongue... (laughs) Let's say the next part together. Keeps his soul from troubles. Let's read that together. Proverbs 21 verse 23, please. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. It's ironic I think that it's the emissary the apostle kepha peter who often did open his mouth and insert his feet at times that gave us so many wise statements and understandings about communication it shows that he learned as he was progressing with the lord spiritually he learned learned to be more how I say controlling of what he said and it was him uh, Kepha Peter that was blessed, anointed, and called upon by the Lord to give that very first message, that gospel message, if you would, the Besarah in Acts chapter 2 at Shavuot after the Ruach HaKodesh the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the people. He, he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 3 beginning with verse 8. He says, finally, and in my notes I have the next three words underlined, finally, All of you, how many is that? All of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. All of you be tenderhearted. Be, can we really say this next word? Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but a contrary, on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So finally, all of you be of one mind. It says. Now, according to this week's Torah portion, as so we began our remarks here this morning, talking about the Meraglim, the spies. The majority of the community, if you read through the whole portion, the majority of the community, a large segment of the community of Israel out in the wilderness, the majority of them, they were swayed by the words of defeatism, exaggeration, and unbelief that were presented to them by the ten spies. It impacted them. Do you know that if you keep hearing all this negative stuff and you keep honing in on this stuff keep listening it's going to impact you you may say no i'm strong it's not going to do that for me but it will we need to be careful especially in our dealings with one another but let's extrapolate that out in our dealings with people that don't know the lord yet that we show them a good and a better way through our own example and our own words if you cuss just like they cuss there's no difference between the two of you If you constantly exaggerate, just like some of them may exaggerate, there's no difference between you. I think you get the gist of it. Now, rather than listen to what the two spies said, which was a message of we can triumph, we can do this, let's do it now. With the Lord's help, we'll be successful. With God's help, with his blessing, with his grace, which is all underlying this idea here of the message of the two spies. The vast majority, great numbers of them, chose the way of the ten spies. And as a result, a result of the people's acceptance of the evil report, not the good report of Joshua and Caleb, but the evil report of those ten spies, Moses and Aaron found themselves in the proverbial pickle again. They found themselves on their faces before the Lord. What are they doing again? They have to intercede for the whole community. It's ironic, but it's really quite significant that there were two that brought a good report, and you have these two, Moses and Aaron, who are interceding. Numbers chapter 14 begins to tell us what happened, beginning with verse 2. And all the children of Israel, they did what? They complained against Moses and Aaron. You know, you need to pray for those that are in authority because often they are the point of trajectory. issues For the president, this is not a political statement. Pray for the president, the vice president. It doesn't matter what you think about them. Pray for them because they will receive the arrows coming from many directions. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, as if that was some great glorious place. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, as if that was Hawaii or something like that. I've been there. It's really pretty tough. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Verse 4 is a very significant Point. So they said, where? They said to one another. There's where it often happens horizontally. They said to one another, here's what they said let us select a leader and return to Egypt. As if they had the anointing and the power of God to choose who chose Moses and Aaron. Hashem, the Lord. So they were putting themselves in the place of God, saying, let us do this. We can do this. We can choose the leader. Let us select the leader and return to Egypt. And immediately, you can almost see it in the, in the verbiage here, when that statement is, so they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt, you don't find Moses saying, yeah, go ahead. You just do what you want to do. You're going to die out there. You don't find that at all what does he do? Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Now, why did they do that? We're not told why, but think about it. I believe they realize how serious what was happening at the horizontal level was before God, and how how much reproach that was going to bring on them. And they, the only thing they could respond as a good leader would do is to humble themselves before the Lord in behalf or on behalf of those people. And according to Numbers chapter 14 beginning with verse 7 it's at that point Moses and Aaron had fallen on their faces before the assembly of the congregation Joshua and Caleb would then take some action. Verse 7 Bamidbar chapter 14, they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we passed through this spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Eretzavot halavaduvash. And then verse 9 is a very important uh, way that he speaks to them. They speak to them. He said, only do not rebel against who? The Lord. They were focused on Moses and Aaron. We need new leaders. Joshua and Caleb had some spiritual insight. You're really rebelling against the Lord because the Lord is the one that placed them in that position. You're saying the Lord made his mistakes, only well, we do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their de- protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You would think the congregation, the next verse, and they all repented, and they realized, well, we have been making a terrible mistake. We need to get this right with Moses, Aaron, with the Lord, with everyone. No, that's not what happens. It says, and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And it's at that point, now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle meeting, appeared before all the children of Israel. You see, friends, Joshua and Caleb saw things with spiritual eyes. And My friends here today, we must see things with spiritual eyes. Pray for discernment. Don't let your emotions be your guide. Pray for discernment. Pray for him to lead you and guide you. Pray for him to use you. Pray for him to give you the words to speak. Pray for him to lead you in your actions. Pray for discernment. And you can see Joshua and Caleb, they saw things with spiritual eyes, and most of the people around them at that time simply didn't. They saw things through carnal eyes. No matter what your circumstance is today, no matter what you're facing today, some things come on suddenly, some things come on gradually. Please see it through spiritual eyes. Do yourself a favor. Make a blessing for yourself. See your life, your circumstances with spiritual eyes. So You not only will be a blessing to yourself, but you'll be a blessing in the kingdom as you learn to walk with him with spiritual eyes. Well, as is the case, as we conclude here, <laughs> guess who has the final say in all of this? Guess who has the final say? And, and before we uh, get too high up on here and thinking about this, guess who really has the final say with you and me today? It's no different than it was in Bamidbar Bar, in the book of Numbers. God had the final say. And in Numbers chapter 14, beginning with verse 22, the Lord speaks. He says, Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Mitzrayim in Egypt and in the Midbar in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times. God was counting. And some of you have been here a while. You've heard me say this before. But be assured that God knows math. He can do his figures. He knows exactly what's happening. If you wonder, well, that's really a strange statement, Rabbi Michael. It says he has the hairs on our head numbered. Does that mean he can count? Yes, it does. Be sure, be sure that you're faithful to the Lord. So... You have put me, you have not heeded my voice. You have put me to the test now these 10 times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land in which I swore to the fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. And I imagine Caleb and Joshua were wondering, (laughs) what about us? It comes in the next verse. And Caleb's ears must have just, can you imagine when he hears this? assuming he heard it. But my servant, Caleb, is the Lord looking at you today as his servant? Are you serving something or someone else? Are you serving him with your vocals, with your finances, with your time, with your efforts, with your strength? Can he truly say, this is my servant? In this case, says my servant, Caleb, can Your name be put at the end of that. This is my servant, Jim, my servant, Eric, my servant, Angie, my servant, Marie. But my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him. God sees what was deep inside. You know, he sees what's deep inside of you. He has a different spirit in him and he has followed me partially A little bit or at times or when he feels like it or on a good occasion when he wakes up on the right side of the bed. When his stomach's full, when his stomach's not full. He has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went. I will bring to the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. And if you follow this through, that's exactly what happens with Caleb. He inherits the land around Hebron, a very prized land to this day. It's where the cave of the the Machpelah is of the patriarchs. So in conclusion, let's consider three principles quickly here. Three principles I think we can learn. There are literally scores of principles we can learn from the 12 spies, but I just want to suggest three to you that we can learn from the 12 spies. Here's principle number one. And looking in retrospect and reading this over and over again over the years, and some of you would also uh, resonate with this, it seems like God saw and heard what was happening both in the forefront and behind the scenes of the community. He knew both. We can even go farther and say he knew what was happening inside the people. After all, he is Hashem. He's the Lord. He's Adonai. He's the creator. He knows us intimately. He knows everything about us. So God saw and he heard what was happening both in the forefront with the visuals that eyes could see, human eyes could see, but what was happening behind the scenes within the community. He knew and also uh, he heard. God sees and he hears all that we do and say as individuals, what we say at our family dinners, but we say, driving in our cars, uh, and I'm not exaggerating this point. I'm not making a fingerling into a Moby Dick here. He sees it all. He knows exactly. He even knows subliminal groupings that take place. He knows all about it. To put it mildly, nothing is hidden from the Lord, nothing. Psalm 94 verse nine is a favorite, one of mine. It's also repeated in principle in the book of Yeshayahu, Isaiah. Psalm 94, verse 9 is very profound, and it says this. It's an appeal to our reasoning. He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? And a parallel New Covenant passage is in the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, where it says this. There is no creature... No created thing. There's nothing. There's no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. And then notice this next phrase, please. The eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, we may be sitting here today in this sanctuary, but ultimately we are standing before the Lord. And our lives are before him. Our words, our actions so knowing this can help us. If we realize that God sees everything, he knows us well. It can really help us in our spiritual walk. It can help us to be loving, to help us to be humble, can help us to be straightforward and to examine, you know, to, to exhibit before other people that he's the creator, that he's the Lord. And one way to explain the biblical term, and most of us have heard this term. Have you heard the term, the fear of the Lord? How many of you have heard that term, the fear? Probably all of us. You've read it in the Bible over and over again. Yeratha donai, the fear of the Lord. But one way to explain or even to define or put some definition to that idea of the fear of the Lord is this. That's living as if God sees, hears, and knows all. And guess what? He really does. (laughs) So living, we will live in such a reverential manner, it will help us become better vessels for the Lord as we realize that He sees and knows all things. Principle number two, faith in action is a critical component of victory for the people of God. Faith in action. Now the action may be like Moses was told to stand still and see the salvation the yeshu of god and sometimes it may be entering into the land as joshua would later experience as he crosses at jericho at jericho a verse that expresses this is hebrews 11 verse 6 it says but without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to god must believe that he is, that he exists, that he's there, he's, he is. And that he is a rewarder of those, and here's an action, who diligently seek him. And when we speak words and we exhibit behaviors that are based, based upon knowing that our Savior is almighty, knowing that he's all-powerful, knowing that he's all-wise, knowing that he's all-sufficient, knowing really that he's our all in all, the giants in our life shrink. When we walk in that way, the giants shrink when we realize that our Savior is almighty, all powerful, and knows all things. The psalmist understood this well. Notice what Psalm 60, verse 12 says. It says, Through God we will do valiantly. Do you know how important those first two words are? Through God. We can make the statement, we will do valiantly, but unless the Lord gives us victory, where's the victory gonna come from? Through God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And there's much more to say about faith and action. But principle number two, Joshua and Caleb, exhibit, Caleb exhibited faith in action. And that leads us in conclusion, principle number three. The potential giants we face in life, from the enemy of our soul that were introduced in God, Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden, to the very works of the flesh that try to take control over us. These things are clearly laid out in Scripture. Did you notice that? Some of these enemies are just laid out there for us. I mean, read Revelation 12, and you have a, an expose of who the enemy is Satan and his various names. When we talk about the flesh, these things are are listed for us, the works of the flesh. Do you remember what it says in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 19? If we allow these things to be gigantic influences in our life, it's going to lead us away from the Lord, not towards him. There's a reason, I think, that the Apostle Paul gave us this very extensive list in Galatians 5, 19, that that are the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and then he says this, and the like. <laughs> That's quite a list. He continues, though, in verse 21 and says, those who practice such things, what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's a parallelism here. He says, Rob Shaul says, those who practice these things, these, these practical, that have a continuous uh, action connected with adultery, for all the things he lists. He says, those who practice such things Will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the parallelism is what we see happens in Numbers. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 37, says when it talks about what happened to the ten spies that brought the bad report, it says, those very men, those very men refers to the ten spies. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land, guess what? They did not inherit the kingdom, so to say. They did not inherit. They died by the plague before the Lord. Was there a difference in outcome between Joshua and Caleb and the ten spies? Mammoth difference, and I'm not exaggerating. A gigantic difference between those who feared God, gave a good report, and projected before the people those things which were pleasing to God and those who didn't. A different outcome. Please don't let anyone in this society convince you that all, all roads lead to the same thing. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. Don't, please, don't buy into some, that's be, some of the stuff that's out there that's trying to say, that, you know, that the, the God is love so then there's nothing else connected. He's, he's love. He's love, yes. That's the shortest definition we find in the Bible of him in 1 John, God is love. But you know what? He's also the judge. <laughs> and he judges righteous judgment. It's good to fear the Lord. Be thankful if you have the fear of the Lord percolating inside of you. Make sure that your words and your actions follow through with that. But after Numbers 14, 37, which says, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. There's the next verse, Numbers 14, verse 38, which says, But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Ephunah, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. And I can imagine what a picture that was for the people. Joshua and Caleb, well, they're, they're still there. The other 10, wow, they're all gone. Could this be a message from the heavens to us? I can imagine what they were thinking. And I leave you with this today. I think above all, we should be thankful for so great a salvation. Are you thankful for Yeshua today? Above all, he shed his blood for our atonement so that we can be forgiven of our sins, so that we no longer have to live under the, the, the giants of the flesh and live under those things, so that we can now walk in the Spirit and do what pleases the Lord Ephesians chapter 4, I leave you today, beginning with verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. His great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Messiah, And it's by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Messiah Yeshua. Will you pray with me? Blessed be your name, O Lord. There is none like unto you. Thank you for your exceedingly great mercy. Thank you for your unfailing love. Lord, thank you for working with us like a potter does with clay. Lord, I pray for anyone hearing these words. If there is this continuous habitual sin that is like a giant in their life, Lord, that you would grant victory. I pray also, Lord, that as we walk with you, that we will not deny you, that we will not be ashamed of you that we would proclaim you even as the world around us brashly, brazenly, and boldly proclaims their worldview. Lord, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that when it's all said and done, it is you that sits on the throne, and it's with you that we have to do. Help us, Lord, as a community to serve you with gladness. Help us, Lord, to, to redeem the time Help us to be faithful in every area of our lives, whether it's our time, our talents, our treasures. Help us, Lord, to do what's pleasing for you and to you. We thank you for this. We pray, O Lord, especially for Israel at this time, for the Jewish people, not only in Israel, but scattered across the face of the earth, that you would open the doors of Yeshua of salvation. And not only to the Jewish people, but to all the nations. Nothing's too difficult for you, O Lord. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Yeshua's name, amen.
0: You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H. Org. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshkina.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.